0: Hey, take your Bible if you would and join me in Acts chapter number 10, Acts chapter number 10. I don't know about you as far as you know, you're looking back and remembering things the way they used to be, but there are a couple things that really unsettled me in not the most serious of ways, but it just was a big disappointment when it changed. So I'm going to tell you what it is. I can't tell you how many times I have thought about how much I missed something that once was, and then it's no more. And it might be silly to you, it's, it is silly to me, but I did genuinely, like, oh, I am so sad that they took that away. Okay, so years ago, back in 1986, um, I traveled as a college rep for Pensacola Christian College, and I did so for about two, a uh, li- little more than two years. And back then, it was, um, you know, I was just a single guy, and I'm traveling, and, and we had a, an allotment for our food budget for the day. And I know this was back in, you know, 1797, so it was a while ago, but our food budget was pretty tight back then. So here's what we got. For a day, we got $10 a day for food, okay? And you could, do, you could make it on $10 a day. Well, for the weekend, every Friday night while I'm traveling, I had the same meal, I think, almost every Friday night. And maybe I would even sneak this one in a couple times through the course of the week because I loved it so much, and then, lo and behold, through the course of time, they, they stopped serving what was, at that point, my favorite food item in the whole entire world. Um, I did a little research on this, and some of you might remember this. I don't know. If you don't know of this, then it's probably best that you don't know, because then you would miss it, as do I. Um, how many of you ever had a, a pizza pie from Pizza Hut called... The Pizza Hut Priazzo. How many of you ever had a, I'm the only one. Okay, so I got a picture. Here it is. This is the Pizza Hut Priazzo. And it was a pizza pie. And they made it back in the, um, oh, I guess back in the 80s. And um, I love the Pizza Hut Priazzo. I like the Milano, which was my favorite. It was basically, um, you know, the the meat version of the Priazzo. i can remember mr reggie sellers one time came to visit me while i'm traveling and i took him to pizza hut because i wanted him to to experience the wonder of the pizza hut Priazzo. and he sat down something must have been he must have been off because he wasn't as impressed as i was but anyone who knows this meal would know this was the best thing that Pizza Hut has ever produced. I even found that today, there is a Facebook group called Bring Back the Pizza Hut Priadzo. I'm not kidding about this, and, and I'm gonna sign up, of course, because this is a real deal. I, I miss the Pizza Hut Priadzo. Okay, no, so wait. This was part of the meal. I would order a Pizza Hut Priadzo, and then I would get a bag of these. I would get a bag of almost home peanut butter fudge cookies. Okay, they look like this. Now, I did some research on this as well, and I couldn't find any any trace of them except someone is selling this bag on eBay for $30. Okay? So I think I'm going to win. I'm the highest bidder right now. So I, I, I would get a bag of almost home peanut butter fudge cookies. I would get a Pizza Hut Priazzo. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the soda, but they don't sell the soda. I would get a two liter of this this apple cider soda. I wish I could remember that. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I just can't remember the name. They don't sell that anymore either. My favorite Friday night meal, a Pizza Hut Priazzo, a a bag of almost home peanut butter fudge cookies, and some apple cider flavored soda. I was a real health nut back then, And, and those items are no more. You can't find them anywhere. I mean, they're just, I couldn't even find, you know, references. I could find almost home cookies but, but even a trace of my favorite almost home cookie was really hard to find. It is, um, it is somewhat of a silly opening for a message, but truth be told, I really did miss those things. Not, not in a way that alters my, my, you know, my outlook on life. I wasn't in a severe state of depression for long. Um <laughs> It just was one of those things, like I I why did they have to change a good thing? We had something going here. I mean, I did this every Friday night. And and for whatever reason, what I became accustomed to and what I really enjoyed changed. That's the case with a lot of life. There are a lot of things that they're here seasonally, they're here for a while. I still look forward, both my wife and I, we look forward to when Chick-fil-A has the, uh, the, the peach shakes. How many of you, can you give me an amen on peach shakes? Any of you not like them? Say, oh my. Oh, wow. Wow. We're going to pray for you right now. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so we look forward to them coming, but they're just seasonal. They're here for a little while, and, and then they're not. It's, it's interesting in the course of, of reading through Scripture, there were times and, and seasons of change, of course. And and then there were times when it wasn't just a seasonal change. It is what we would refer to as a radical, and then what we will title our message tonight, an uncomfortable change. Like, well, this, this was a change that... Um, that was radical, I mean, nobody even really saw this coming. They could have discerned it, they could have seen it, there were hints all along the way, but when it happened, it was one of those mind-blowing changes that really did rattle, rock the world of those who had become accustomed to something that, as far as they were concerned, was never going to change we're going to walk through a rather lengthy narrative tonight and we won't be lengthy in doing it we'll edit and and jump from the highlight points but i'd encourage you to just take some time to process yourself and read through acts chapter 10 and 11 Let's start in Acts chapter 10. The first thing we're going to see about this uncomfortable change is some players through the course of this message and then some scenes, if you would, for lack of a better expression. They're just like these, these, um, this drama that unfolds before us and we see some of the major characters and then we see some of the different scenes that are presented before us. And God just presents it to us in narrative fashion as he does through much of scripture. I'm not going to put scripture on the screen tonight, or at least I don't think I have much put up there, but I do want you to follow along if you would, so have your copy of scripture out. Acts chapter 10, let's start in verse number one, and again, the first thing that we see is the seeker, the seeker, and this is, this is Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter." Okay, now first of all, let's just notice regarding this seeker, he's called one that feared God. This is typically a phrase that's going to be used about a Gentile who is adhering to many of the tenets of Judaism. He would acknowledge and observe the Ten Commandments. Now, he wouldn't observe everything that was called upon for a Jew to do. But he would oftentimes go to the synagogue. They would listen to the teaching. He gave many alms. He's provisional with his resources. He feared God. Okay, but it's also interesting to me if we just take a little aside from this. And it's not the whole thrust of the message. But I think it is valuable for us to see while we're here in Acts 10. that that this man who feared God, he is responding to light that he currently has, still was in need of more light to come to heaven. And God sends to this seeker a means by which he can get additional light. And don't you find it interesting that while God could have given the message of salvation to mankind through angels, he doesn't choose to do so. There are those who who we even hear today, people who have these really unique dreams or visions, but it's not the thing that brings about their salvation. It's just the manner with which God is pointing them to a gospel witness, and they find additional light. Well, Cornelius does not get the gospel, but he's a seeker, and, and wonderfully so. When we respond to light given, God grants additional light. And so, mankind does have light. The heavens do declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utter a speech. In other words, every single day, there is a speech. Day unto day, utter a speech. Night unto night, showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where that sermon, where the voice of creation, is not heard. So, there's light given to all mankind. God actually said, okay, Cornelius, you're responding to light given. I'm gonna give you additional light. Okay, the the note, we we see that the angel reveals to Cornelius what he's supposed to do next. Not the angel's privilege to share the gospel, but to point him to the one who would. Okay, let's look at the next of the, the players here, and that is the servant, and that's Peter. So we see the seeker, Cornelius, we see the servant, that's Peter. Look at verse number nine. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop. There's two scenes taking place. So we have this entourage coming from Cornelius to, um, to visit, to find Peter. And Peter, at the same time, the, the camera um, um, changes now. We have this transition to Peter. He goes up to the housetop um, to, to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Okay, so let's, let's pause right here. So it's amazing how God used Peter's present situation. I think this is just the way God works. Peter's hungry, okay? He's like, man, I am so hungry, now, this is one of the cardinal rules you're never supposed to do in church. You're never supposed to talk about how hungry people are or food or, or whatever, but, but that's where the scriptures are taking us, and Peter's hungry. So he, he's thinking like, man, the, you know, the, the body is just going to insert itself in ways that oftentimes are not convenient, but for whatever reason, the Bible says he's hungry. He goes up to the rooftop to pray, and while he's there, God again just intersects life and his plan. Peter's hungry, and and God's about to reveal something to him. And so he is up on this rooftop, and and to Peter, you know, this vision may have been more akin to a nightmare. Because he sees this, this, almost like this, in my mind, I picture it like a picnic blanket that's coming down. And on this, all kinds of assorted animals that would be fit for food, but, but only some. Like all manner of four footed um, beasts and creeping things and insects. I mean, they're all coming down. And he looks at this and then he hears, okay, rise, Peter, get up, go, you're hungry, go kill and eat. Whoa, I can't believe I just heard that. If you want to talk about shocking, th- this is shocking to him. He has all of these Jewish histories. And now, with with what God is about to do, we might call them Jewish prejudices. Like, he has now this inclination that says, how in the world could I do this? He's got a lot of history that is coming right to this collision with what God is about to do. And it is uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. To say the least. Let's look a little bit further. We have, um, you know, first of all, the seeker and the servant. Now look at the situation. And I have this, you know, in quotes. We have a situation here. Okay, so remember, look at verse 13 again. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. But God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men that were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They're they're out there knocking on the door and called and asked whether Simon which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Okay, (laughs) now we do have a situation that is unfolding here right now. So Peter has this vision. He sees this big picnic blanket come down and he's commanded, "Uh, rise, Peter, you're hungry. Rise, kill, eat. Not so, Lord. No, no, I have never, not through the, 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 the door of these lips, has that food ever passed? I'll tell you, you can kind of hear Peter if he's going to have this conversation, I'll tell you one thing I'll never do. I'll never have the food of the pagan. I'll never, I'll never eat the meat of the Gentile. I mean, you can kind of hear that. Have you ever said before, let me tell you what I'll never do, you know, we have to be careful in saying what we will never do if, if God's never commanded us not to do it. Now, it's okay. Again, we're, we're hearkening back to even this morning. It's okay if it's a moral matter. Like, okay, I'll never, God, by your grace, I will never, and, and man, fill in the blank for those things that are moral matters. But here, we don't have a moral matter. We have a ceremonial matter. This is a matter that that has has some of the ritual aspect, remember, that were the shadows for the Jewish people, but the Jews had become so connected to their shadow, they're grasping at something that only served a, 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 a time period reason for existence. Now, Jesus, the reality had come and the shadow is no longer there. You know, the the brilliance of Jesus Christ does dismiss the shadow. And Peter was still committed to something that was intended for a time. And did you notice what he said? In fact, do you notice not only what he said, but to whom it was said? And so the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. Lord. Do you know who he just said no to? I mean, if we were just witnesses, we're just kind of the fly on the wall and we're watching this whole thing. And Peter says, I mean, there came a voice, rise Peter. Peter said, not so Lord. No, he just said no to the Lord. Okay, um, Dr. W. Graham Scroge once wrote, you can say no and you can say Lord. But you cannot say no, Lord, okay? Those two do not go together. Okay, think about the phrase not so. That phrase means, no, I'm not going to do it. And Lord means supreme authority, the one who gets the power to decide. So it's as if he's saying, no, now tell me what you want me to do. Uh, No, I'm not gonna do that. What do you want me to do? Not so lord master ruler the one with whom i have to do the one whose servant i truly am no lord they just don't go together peter could have said not so peter could have said lord but he can't say them both together and again god is about to teach peter that the ritual law of the old testament was no longer binding and so his view of them and of others is going to need to change. You and I have to be very cautious that we don't find ourselves in a place where we create a situation, where we start to say to, to God, not so, Lord. Has he ever directed you very plainly, clearly to take some kind of a step of obedience? Like, okay, this is next for you this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to serve, this is where I want you to go. Not so, Lord. We find ourselves in a very precarious situation, a real situation, if we come to the place where we know who it is with whom we have to do, and we're not willing to do what he asks us to do, the one with whom we have to do. So in your own life, boy, be, be so very cautious that we don't hesitate to say, yes, Lord. Do you know, I think this is true. I, I know it's been true in my life. I, I know somewhat of the testimony of Dr. Zach and, and, and others on our pastoral team. I'm not going to share his, his whole testimony. But I do know that when you plant a church, as the Lord led the Zachariases to do, and then the Lord leads you to take a next step. It can be easy to say, not so, Lord. To come up with all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't take this next step of obedience. Um, every time for, for Julie and I, the, the Lord has led us to whatever is next. It has been that like, okay, well, we, we got to make sure that we're not telling other people to be followers of him. And then we're not willing to do the same. I think it's challenging for anybody, pastors, any person, any, anyone, it's challenging for us to find reasons why we have legitimate um, excuses to say, not so, Lord. But those words really should never go together. Okay, so we have a bit of a situation here. Let's see what is the solution, because God always has one. Look down at verse number 19. Verse number 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them. Now look at these words again. I mean, you might want to, maybe you are circling things or underlining things in your Bible, but notice what the Spirit says to Peter. He says, Get, get thee down, go with them, doubting nothing. Peter, you're supposed to go with them. Lord, these are Gentiles. I mean, these are, these are I hate to say it, Lord, but, but I mean, we've always called them the Gentile dogs, the heathen. Lord, to go with them? And so God preempts the excuse. And Peter's already said, not so, Lord. And now he says, there's three men that you're about to hear the doorbell ring. There's three men. Um, they're waiting for you. I want you to go with them, doubting nothing. Peter, don't go dragging your feet. Don't go with all of your own excuses. I am at work here. You take the step to follow me, doubting nothing. By the way, to, to Peter's, um, to commend him, he actually does invite these three Gentiles now into the home of Simon the Tanner, so he invites them in. They're in Joppa, and he invites them in, and and um, then they're actually allowed to lodge there apparently overnight. This this is a big step, kind of a first step right now for the apostle Peter. So he is already saying, "Okay, whoo, wow, I, I can't help but think this. This is a speculation. So I'm acknowledging it, but I can't help but think that when um, when Peter invites them in, his mind, his Jewish mind, is just racing like. Wow, what if Pastor James finds out about this? Like, I hope um, I'm, do you think that he says, yeah, come on in, quickly, okay? And he's kind of looking around to see who just noticed who came in, that Peter is like inviting, because if word gets out, did you see that Peter had those, I mean, you can't doubt who this is, because apparently one of them is a soldier, a Roman soldier that shows up, I mean, we, we know who these people are. But he gets the word, I want you to go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. The next day, he makes the trip to Caesarea. Caesarea is a distinctly Roman um, city. In fact, you can still visit Caesarea today, and it's quite impressive even in its ruins. And um, Herod was the builder. It was, it was really quite a remarkable um, um, city that... that It has features of the city that say, wow, this was an impressive place to be, but distinctly Roman. Uh, There would have been some Jews that lived there. There would have been some Jewish customs and traditions, but the city itself, distinctly Roman. So as Peter arrives, he finds that Cornelius is not just Cornelius that's there. Cornelius is there, his whole family, because the Bible says that his whole family fears God. I mean, Cornelius, this this Roman centurion, he's an impressive guy. He's been hardened through the the soldier schooling, so to speak. And yet he's not going to give his family to the false deities of the Romans. And he's he's bringing up his family to, to serve and to follow and to fear God. So his family's there, and then there's other people that are there. Like he's got this little crowd of Gentiles and they're all there. They're waiting for Peter to show up. And can you imagine again how uncomfortable, this is? Peter's never done this before. He has never gone in. He's certainly never sat down for a meal with. He's never lodged with. He's never gone into the home of another Gentile person. This is the height of uncomfortable for this Jewish man. Okay, so what does he do? Well, he's supposed to go with them. And and then if you look a little bit further, look down at verse number, he arrives and, and everybody's there. Look down at verse number 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful, and by the way, I would add uncomfortable thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Wow, Peter, Peter is listening to God. He's, he's going beyond some of these deeply ingrained prejudices. He's saying, now you all know this is not lawful, according to the, our Jewish laws. This is not lawful for me to do, and he's looking around at all these eager faces. I mean these are Gentile people who who they also are like listen we're followers of god w- w- uh, Cornelius saw a vision because his prayers they were like this sweet incense offered up to God and God heard him and God sent a messenger to Cornelius and, and he told us to seek you out and now they're just eagerly waiting. Can you see the look on their faces? This is a whole new world of ministry opportunity that is opening up to believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're, we're more concerned about our our rituals then we are the eager faces that are standing in front of us saying hey uh, teach me about God we're so glad you're here uh, w- 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 okay but everybody be quiet p- p- Peter's coming I mean they're anticipating this is the one that that we heard we were supposed to go seek out and and so wow God God sent them and they found him and they brought him back and he walks in and I think his eyes must have been just as wide as theirs. So he kind of steps back and scratches his head and is like, wow. Whew, wow, take a deep breath. Okay, Uh, this is against our law, but but God has showed me. Look now, I mean, we saw the seeker and the servant, the situation, the solution. Look at the salvation. Verse number 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. We're, we're abbreviating some, so go back and read it. But. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. This is of Jesus. To him, uh, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow. <laughs> they, they cannot believe what it is that's taking place. I believe, now you had to have three witnesses. That was what you needed to have. I believe that Peter has with him six witnesses because he, he has this whole, listen, this has to be well documented that I'm going because God told me to go. And, and they get there and, and Peter begins to just articulate Jesus Christ. Remember, Cornelius responded to light that was given. And now God sent him additional light And Cornelius just accepts this light, the light of Jesus Christ. And as he does, he is a follower now, not just of God, he's a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom God sent into the world as the the spotless Lamb of God, the one who would shed his blood for the remission of sin. And as, as Cornelius is listening, as his family's listening, as this gathered assembly is listening, they're like, This is the truth. This is truth. This is what we've been waiting for. We believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. Remember Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens, and the Holy Spirit is is upon them, and they go out, and they're witnesses. Ye shall be witnesses. Okay, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. That's what's happening right now. And the Holy Spirit now also is obviously evident in the lives of the Gentiles. If you think through what what is happening, Paul writes about this elsewhere. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, let me read it for you. We'll be right back in Acts. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's let's move on now. And let's see in closing the satisfaction. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, again, here's this expression. We see it throughout scripture, throughout these writings. When he was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Okay, now we we are the Jews who follow the law. We, we are those who listen we've been given all the rituals and these are intact for us this is why it was so challenging in Rome for these two parties to fully come together the, the, I mean one has these deeply held traditions every part of their life is going to focus rotate around the rituals the shadows the pictures the images and, and sometimes they have no idea what they're for but when Jesus comes it's like oh Oh, that's, I get it now. That's what the picture was for. Now we can leave the pictures behind and and we can have the substance. We can have the Savior, Jesus. So they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, verse number three, chapter 11, thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them although this uncomfortable change is not easy to handle notice how beautiful how beautifully the bible notes this the apostles and brethren okay that's verse number one chapter 11 the apostles okay these are the disciples Jesus followers the disciples the apostles and brethren this is a very what we would call like whoa that's a really important group of people of whom the apostles are assembled. Hey, you went in to the uncircumcised and you had you had fellowship meals with. Okay, hang on. Let me tell you what happened. Verse number 18, Acts chapter 11. When they heard these things, Peter just walked through the whole story. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life? God, is, is this what you did? They listened. They held their peace. They didn't, they didn't land on their early assessment. Oh, we're going to have to have a talk with Peter. When Peter gets here, we're going to bring him in and we're going to set him down and we're, we have to have a talk with him. Okay, guys, I get it. I know. Listen, the, I had this vision and I, I don't know if you know this or not, Peter speaking, but I actually told the Lord, no, I can't believe I said that. Okay. Again, you know, open my mouth, insert my sandal, but I told the Lord, no. And, um, but, but boy, was he patient with me and he led me along and, and then he starts to un- unpack the story. And then what is it that they do? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God. Of course, there were detractors, but pause and think about what must have been the reasoning for their hesitations. They would have concluded that the Gentiles clearly don't deserve to be saved, and that really is the conclusion you'd have to come to. Well, they they don't deserve to be saved because they don't follow the rituals, they don't follow the practice, we are of the circumcision, they don't deserve to be saved. But then we would ask the follow-up question, well, who does? Who does? So these brethren, they glorified God. This uncomfortable change would continue to cause challenges and divisions throughout the church. Peter would be so influenced by the Judaizers that he would take a sad step back from the Gentiles only to be publicly rebuked by Paul the Jews in Jerusalem would attempt on numerous occasions to take the life of Paul because of his affiliation with the Gentiles. When Paul comes back to Jerusalem just prior to his incarceration there, even the church said, Paul, let's just restore the church's faith in you that you also follow the law. And through false accusations, again, stirring up those who are of the circumcision, There was a riotous act that resulted in the Apostle Paul's incarceration and eventual trial in Rome. What was uncomfortable for Peter was something that in this instance he did get beyond. It was an uncomfortable change. Maybe the most uncomfortable moment of, of all would be when the Apostle Peter said, Not so, Lord. What change may God be bringing in your life? If you tell him no, then please don't also call him Lord.